Welcome to Stories from the Center of the Universe, the podcast about the human experience. Manoli Lupasi, welcome to the Center of the Universe. It's good to be in the Center of the Universe. You and I have not seen each other in... 35 to 40 years. Is it that long? It has been that long. Yeah. 38 years, probably. I think you graduated high school in... 1985. And we haven't seen each other since 1985. Correct. But we... Probably. Probably. We do know each other, though. Yes. From high school. Did you go to VMI? Where'd you go? I went to UVA. Okay. I'm guessing I probably ran into you a couple of times at UVA. Probably. But I'm guessing you and I, neither of us remember. <laughs> we, we may have enjoyed some refreshments on those occasions. I mean, why else would you go to another college? Correct. Yeah. And you went to Washington later, right? Yeah. Yeah, so you and I knew each other in high school, and I'm guessing you wouldn't have a clue who I was except that we played football together. No, I would remember you You and I used to play pickup basketball a lot, too. So oh, that's you had, right. You had a pretty decent basketball game, if I remember. That's right. I forgot we played a lot of pickup basketball. I love playing basketball outside. Absolutely. Oh, it was the best. You probably kept playing. I played for another 20 years. Yeah, so did I, and then I had to hang them up. Knees and hips and back. But you don't have that issue. You're probably perfect. I got a new hip uh, about a year ago. Really? Life-altering. So, so good. Oh, so good. How, how did you know you needed to get it replaced? It just hurt all the time? Yeah, her all the time, and I couldn't, you know, I couldn't golf. I couldn't, you know, the things I couldn't do physically that, that were just, it was just really painful. So, but it now was, it's life it was time. Oh yeah, unbelievable. That's awesome. Yeah, it feels so good. That's very cool. I appreciate you coming out uh, to my place tonight. I, uh, I, and I guess we should mention that you're a, a lawyer. Should we start there? Or do you want to? Sure, that? that's fine. Why? Why did you become a lawyer? Uh, happenstance. Um, I didn't know what I wanted to do when I was graduating from WNL. I told my dad, who was a Greek immigrant who ran a restaurant, who worked his whole life, probably 70, 80 hours a week. I told my old man that I was going to go to Australia and New Zealand for a year. And I was going to play lacrosse and work as a bar back. And I think he put two and two together and figured that I was going to go chase some Australian ladies. <laughs> Australian he, women love America. And he America. said, you know, that sounds like a great plan. How do you plan on getting to Australia? And when you come back, how do you plan on paying for law school? Like, hmm, I'm going to get back to you on this plan. I'm not sure. I've, I thought I was still on the payroll. But I, maybe I need to rethink this thing. So, um so I continued to try to get into law school just because I was trying to put off becoming an adult, I think, more than anything. And uh, I got into Ole Miss Law School, so I went to Ole Miss for a year, and then I transferred to the University of Richmond. So the idea was go to law school to put off being an adult right away. That's right. Yeah, I mean, I, I didn't, you know, I knew, you know, I was just, I didn't want to be Willie Loman. That I knew. I just didn't want to be Willie <laughs> They should never, they should never have kids read i mean because life is all about sales right everything you do everything you, you, everything selling. you do you have to be a salesman and so to make make that look so bad <laughs> and so sad we've read it at st christopher's right yeah yeah we were probably i mean i didn't read many books but i remember <laughs> that one for some reason that one stood out in my mind i'm like well i know one damn thing i don't want to be a salesman <laughs> door-to-door shoe salesman at that yeah, yeah. But, but sales in general yeah i'm with you all right so you're let's talk about your dad for a second I, he passed away fairly a couple recently. years ago yeah and you were i remember you 
thought very, very fondly of your dad and obviously loved him like a son should, but you had, I think, an even more special relationship with your dad. It's kind of the impression I have. Yeah, we, you know, we spent a lot of time together and, and um, you know, I, I pretty much listened to what he had to say and respected what he had to say. He had accomplished so much. You know, he came from another country, couldn't speak English. He was a very successful businessman. And, um, you know, I, I've always kind of relied on people and observed people that I felt like were successful. And I thought, well, that's a good person to emulate and also a good person to listen to. And so when he, you know, made suggestions to me or told me to do things, I pretty much did what he told me to do. Yeah, it sounds like he earned uh, your respect. Yeah, I mean, he knew what he was. He, he was he was a very, very smart person. How did he end up coming to America in the first place, and then why Richmond? <laughs> did he ever tell you? Yeah, yeah. So he was he was working in an, in on an oil tanker. You know, his father was executed by the Nazis. Oh my gosh! Yeah. So, so his father had been executed by the Nazis. So it was his mom and two sisters. They were dirt poor, and there's he was, you know, in a war-ravaged nation that had been basically destroyed. Europe was destroyed by by war, and then they had probably about ten to twelve years of a civil war in Greece, and so that was his formative years. And he was just like, man, I got to get the hell out of here. I'll never be able to make it. There's no mobility. There's no opportunity. I got to get out of here. So he got his semen paper straight. And the first oil tanker he could get on after he turned 18, he got on. And uh, the, the, um, the guy said, well, the only thing we've got is, you know, wiping down the engines in the bowels of this ship. The worst job on the ship. The worst job on the ship. He's like, I'll take it. And he just got out of there, worked himself up to the to the uh, bridge where the captain was and all. And he did that for like three years. He, he sailed all over the world. It was an oil tanker. They were in the Persian Gulf. They were in the Indian Ocean. They were in the Suez Canal. They were all over the world. And I think it, it started wearing on him. You know, it's a rough life. He was it he was docked in Wilmington, Delaware. He got a bus to Charleston, West Virginia, which is where his uncle was. Mm. And he got a job in a coal mine and he worked in a coal mine for a little bit for like six months and he knew that wasn't gonna be because back then the coal mine and you basically crawled in holes that were eighteen inches tall and maybe thirty inches wide. So it was like you crawl down in the hole, you chip all day. And then you crawl out of the hole. He's like, I'm not thinking this is really a good, a good long-term thing. So he's trying to get the hell out of there. He found the one job clearly worse than being in the engine room of oil <laughs> Yeah, exactly. So he's like, okay, um, I got to get the hell out of here. And back then, this was the early late '50s. You could go to different places, and Greek restaurant tours would take new Greeks to town and, mm. you know, let them work as dishwashers or let them work. So, you know, there's usually some way to get a job by word of mouth through the Greek community. So uh, he knew there were two places he could go work. One was in New York and one was here in Richmond. And he was sitting in Charleston in a uh, 
diner with a friend, and they were talking in Greek. And one of them, uh, they must have said Richmond or something, and a gentleman who was in the booth, you know, maybe across the way, came over and said to the guy that my dad was talking to, you just said Richmond. That's where I'm from. And he explained to him, well, he needs a ride. (laughs) And so... The guy was a, a Richmond police officer, Richmond City police officer. And he said, well, I'll give him a ride if he wants to go back to Richmond. And the 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 trip to Richmond, the guy was going to leave on Thursday, and my dad couldn't get a ride to, to New York until Saturday. Mm. He was like, well, hell, Thursday is better than Saturday. I'm out of here. <laughs> it came down to a ride. That's it. That's how he ended up in <laughs> Richmond. Exactly. And then, you know, he got here. He worked as a dishwasher for a bit. He worked as, um, you know, kind of a restaurant manager for maybe six months. Within a year, at the age of 20, he had bought his first restaurant. Mm. Went out of business, but learned a lot. Wrote his own contract. It's, uh, he st- I still got the contract. He Somehow, no, he learned English. Wow. At the same time, he's going to VCU a little bit. And he, you know, he's running a restaurant. And one thing led to another, and then he ended up on uh, Park Avenue. And that's where he was on Robinson Street and Park Avenue at the Robin Inn. And he was there from 1963 until he retired. I was going to say, uh, all of this sounds like it transpired from late 50s, early 60s kind of thing. That's right. Yeah. Wow. That's nuts. Yeah. I mean, when you think about where you came from and where you ended up, you know, and then he had a son, you know, obviously who was in uh, vice mayor in the city, city prosecutor, um, former uh you know, member of the House of Delegates. You know, I mean, it's just amazing that that can happen in one generation. Like yeah, that. I mean, your your dad did not speak English. Could did not as, speak as, as a kid. Correct. That shows you what great how great a country it is. Yeah. I mean, you can. How can you? This is what people don't understand. People are dying to get here. I mean, they say we have a border problem. Yeah, we do have a border problem. But there's a reason we have a border problem. Those people are not coming here because they want something for free. They're coming here to work, man. Yeah, big time. They want to work, and they want to make it, but they want an opportunity. They don't have an opportunity where they are. They don't have the rule of law. They don't have they they, they don't have the um, the mechanisms that we have here. The the system that we have here for the production of wealth, and that's what the people who are here don't seem to understand and appreciate. It's, it's weird. It's, it's really weird. It's bizarre to me. Um, you, you know, quit complaining and start working. Yeah. You know, just you can make it. You just got to work. People in this country respect it and love workers, and they hate laziness. I, I think people are getting softer, man. I, I hate to sound like an old guy. I sound like yeah, I know. We're I just like old. We really are. I sound like I'm 80, but, I yeah. mean, like, yeah, get to work. Let's I mean, work. It's, stop, it's, stop talking. Get to work. Yeah. Well, so how old were you when you uh, knew your dad's story? Were you from from? So you knew. All yeah, but he along. couldn't. Yeah, I mean, you know, speak broken English. I mean, you were. You know, how's all this happen? You, yeah, you learned that immediately. And so you were pretty inquisitive as a son. You wanted to know your dad's story. You're gonna get it, whether you want to know it. I mean, <laughs> you know, you're gonna get the stories. They're coming. Yeah, because because you're his son. He was gonna tell. Yeah. Him. Yeah, they, you know, part, I mean, like, I, you know, I'm sure my son just rolls his eyes like, oh, here we go again, this story for the <laughs> five millionth time, really? 
Okay. But, but they're powerful stories, and your son will love them as he gets older. I think so. Yeah. He'll he'll adore them. I think so. Yeah, and he'll listen to this either in a couple of weeks or maybe ten years from now. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's very busy. Yeah. You know, he's very busy. <laughs> we'll talk about your family uh, in a little bit. All right. So you were K through twelve at St. Christopher's. No, I came in sixth grade. Was that a weird transition for you? Um, I was a pizza boy when I came to take the test. I came in a three-piece polyester <laughs> suit with a really wide polyester tie. Oh, do you have a picture? Oh, uh, I wish I, I'm pretty sure there's someone. You know, there's bound to be a picture somewhere. You know, and um, and so I would say, you know, I got in, and then you know. You know, that's a tough adjustment when you're coming from Northside Richmond, Chamberlain Elementary School, and then you're coming to that environment. It's a, you know, and a lot of those, those kids have been together for six years. Yeah. And you know, I didn't live in the West End. I mean, I lived in Chamberlain Farms. You know, I didn't have parents that were members of the country club. Me and my dad was a pizza man. So you, you lived in Henrico County. Yeah. 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 A Blue Star Highway, man. Yeah. 301. Not far from here, actually. No. Yeah. No, not far. Not far at all. I, I lived off of uh, Wilkinson Road, actually. Probably six miles. Yeah, you, yeah, that's yeah. where I grew up. Right there, Dirt Drive. I, yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a good place to grow up. Yeah, yes. But you didn't. But you weren't a West End kid. A lot of those kids, when you and I, because I went there in eighth grade, four years after you started in sixth grade, and I, a lot of those kids was within five miles of the school. Right. Yeah, and, maybe closer. Yeah, maybe. maybe uh, you know, we were lucky that you and I were lucky in that we were athletes, and so that enabled you to blend in much more quickly. Yeah, we were accepted faster yeah. than we would have been otherwise. Correct. Yeah. So I mean, I, I wasn't a great athlete, but I was good enough to be, you know, good enough to be good enough to be accepted fast. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, do you have any fond uh, memories of teachers from middle school? You know, interestingly enough. I was thinking about the other day. So I was standing, you know, I'm, I'm on the board at St. Christopher's. Oh, okay. I didn't know that. And and so I, we were doing a, a... You and McCoy and Dunstan? Yeah. 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 We were doing a tour of the um, different things that they're redoing there. And one of them is the middle school library. Standing outside on the porch, there's a back door... I don't think I ever went through it when we were there. But anyway, there's a little porch, and I think they're going to make a nicer porch out there with some tables and chairs for kids to sit. And, you know, it's going to be nice. And so we're looking at it, and the the um, the headmaster and I are standing outside, Mason Leckie, and we're chit-chatting, and he was telling me about it. And I, I looked up, and I saw the tree, and it was the same damn tree. And I looked at him, and I said, do you see that tree right there? And he said, yeah, yeah, I see that. I see it. I said, you know, that's where I got cut from eighth grade basketball. <laughs> Why was it there? And he, huh? Why were you cut? I don't there? know, man. I don't know. Anyway, that's where I got cut. And um, and, and he looked at me and he goes, dude, that was like 45 years ago. <laughs> it doesn't matter. And you still remember that? I'm like, like it was yesterday. Yeah. But the thing about it is, is I didn't like it at the time. He kept 18 players. You know, I was a kid basketball player. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He kept 18 players, and I won one of the top 18. Now, was I top five? No. Top, maybe top eight. But 
it taught me a very valuable lesson extremely early. And you you didn't have to you didn't have to say it. What was said was you weren't good enough to make it. But what he really was saying is you weren't playing by my rules mm. and you're not one or two. If you're one or two, in other words, if you're the leading scorer, the leading rebounder, then you're not expendable. You are not expendable. Yeah. But if you're not one of the top two, then you're just like everything else. Yeah. You're expendable. And so you have to learn how to fit into the operation. Mm. And then if you fit into the operation, maybe I'll let you play some more. That's the way it goes. Yeah. So I could have either taken it laying down and just said, well, he's a you know jerk and he didn't know what he was doing and just quit or you know take it as a learning lesson and be like, okay, I get it. That's pretty mature of you as an eighth grader. I don't know, man. I don't know. Just something hit me in the head. You know, and I was like, it's not him, it's me. It takes some people a lifetime to figure that out. Yeah, yeah. You got to do it quick. And so the next year I started. So obviously I was good enough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I didn't get that much better in one year. I started in ninth grade. Right. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. No, it's okay. I learned. And and so anyway, so the, the teacher that did it, we ended up becoming pretty good friends later in life after I'd graduated from high school and was playing basketball outside at St. Christian's to play with him all the time. And after that, we would play lacrosse together for years. And I'd always try, I was the captain of my lacrosse team, you know, in the summer league, and I'd always get him to play with us. And anyway, I just wanted to show him that I learned the lesson yeah. about teamwork and about, you know, how to function in a team setting. Can you say his name? Yeah, Andy Smith. He knows. Oh, Andy's been on this. No way. Yes. He's, he's unbelievable. He sat, he sat where you did. for like 60 years or I, something I insane. Love, he just retired. Yeah, Amazing I, person. I'm a huge fan of Andy Smith. Absolutely. Yeah, amazing person. And, you know, I mean, you learn these lessons. That's the thing. I, I sent him, when, he, when I heard he was retiring, I sent him a, a note. And I just said, you know, you really don't know when you're doing that job, how you affect people and in the ways that you do. But that's something that not many jobs, there aren't many jobs that you have in a life that you can do that can affect so many people in ways that you don't even appreciate or understand. I mean, this was eighth grade. That's a long time ago. Yeah. But it has permanent effects on people and how they live their lives. And um, that was just a, you know, that that was a, you know, a, a very good learning experience for me. Yeah. You know, you learn by failing. You know what's funny about him uh, coaching basketball is he said he never played basketball growing up. He was a soccer and lacrosse guy. Yeah. Yeah, I think he played lacrosse in college. At Johns he, Hopkins maybe? Is that, yeah. Or, or soccer. I think he played soccer at Johns oh, Hopkins. Oh, did he? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. At least that's what he said on the recording. Yeah, okay. Yeah. No, makes sense. Yeah, no, I remember. He, he they're talked, the same games. Basketball, they're very, soccer, they're all the same. and lacrosse are the same. I watched so much soccer the last few years. You know, Manoli, Manoli's been playing for years now. And it's the same game. Yeah. Lacrosse, same thing. And so they're, they're, they're very they're very complementary, especially if you if you play one, you can play well the others. Constant motion, too, which is to, to watch it or to play it. It's, it's fun to watch or play, I think, all yeah. three of those sports. Yeah. 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 Uh, 
What about Bob Blanton? I have to ask everybody that went through. So I saw him. I hadn't seen him in years, and I saw him, and always just graduated. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I saw him, and he looks the same. It's unbelievable. Yeah. I told him, you're the man that doesn't age. He's, he's got to be in his mid-70s, by the uh, way, right? Got to be. Oh, so terrified of him when he was my teacher. Yeah. Latin teacher. Oh, my God. He was so scared. Did you ever see him? Did you ever see him throw anybody out the window? Uh, maybe Danny Yu. I can't remember. You know, I mean, I, I'm pretty sure he, he did that for effect. I mean, it was he just having fun. You know, I know he used people's erasers. I remember that. <laughs> you know, I remember he, he grabbed... you got to be pretty strong even for an 8th grade kid to be used... Or a 7th grade kid to be used as an eraser. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He would dangle people by one leg over that <laughs> thing. I mean, he'd get, you'd get fired now for doing the stuff they did. Uh, got... Him and Ackerman and all those guys. Oh, my gosh. Crazy times. Super... Uh, but they were charismatic. Absolutely. They were characters. I loved Ackerman. Oh, Ackerman yeah. was amazing. Yeah. We had some good... Some really neat teachers. Yeah, there's no question. I mean, and that, that's part of the experience. That's part of what the parents are paying for, I think. Absolutely. Is to run into uh, those characters. Mm-hmm. And I say characters in the in the best uh, way possible. Correct. All right, cool. So, St. Christopher's, you were an athlete. You were also a pretty good student, right? You don't go to W&L and then law school without being a pretty good student. I was not a, I was not a very good student, to be honest. Really? Um, no. I was okay. But, um, you know, I was in all the Midland classes and... I did okay in math. English was a challenge for me. I do okay in history. I mean, I had two seven, two eight, something like that. Never. I don't think I ever made the dean's list. I don't was think du- I ever made the dean's list. W and L only in law school and college. <laughs> I thought W and L was a pretty tough school to get into even back then. Yeah, my years of first year was co-ed, um, and I just had things kind of lined up for me. You know, I wrestled. I had a pretty good wrestling. Um, run there at St. Christopher's and so that helped quite a bit. Did you wrestle in college? Oh yeah, I wrestled all four years. Oh I didn't realize you wrestled a captain in wrestling team. Oh nice, okay. Yeah. At WL. At WNL was like, yes. I wrestled all four years and I was captain. What was your weight class your uh, senior year? I wrestled one ninety for three years. Okay. My senior year I went down from about two twenty five to one seventy seven. I wrestled one seventy seven. Yeah. Fifty pounds. I, I uh gained a lot of weight freshman year to senior year yeah it, it happens yeah no I, I ended up losing I went you know I mean I went the opposite way and my grades went the opposite way you know I mean my grades from from high school to college to law school were completely different each you know you're maturing yeah I mean I just learned to you know what to do and I just you know started making you know that was one thing about St. Christopher's you really don't appreciate how smart you are smart you are while you're there mm. because you're surrounded by so many smart people yeah and so it's like gives you really jaded i mean i thought i was a complete dummy you know when i was at st christopher i did not feel you know like i was smart and then when i went to WNL, where ostensibly i was supposed to be surrounded by brilliant people and i was like these people are nothing. Dude, give me Will Nelson. Give me Barry Disney, Jason Eastray. I'm like, there's just the, their next level intellects. I mean, it's just ridiculous. Your you know, class in particular. Carl Martin. Yeah, I mean, we had we had like nine National Merit Scholarship finalists out of 70 people. That's crazy. It's insane. I, was, I mean, literally, we have rocket scientists that I graduate with that when I see them and I ask them what they do, they're like, 
Uh, it's just very complicated. Don't worry about it. I'm like, okay, yeah, you're right. You couldn't handle it. I'm one of the dumb ones. I can't handle it. <laughs> but, that, I mean, I do. It's true. Your class was ridiculous. Yeah, I went to WNL. I was like, well, I was expecting to be surrounded by all these smart people. I'm like, well, if I read the books, I can crush these people. And then, you know, and that's why I was in law school. At law school, they try to act like, hey, you're only one of the top 5% of all people because you, they let, we let you in here. And then you go there and you're like, well, this is the top five. I'm going to crush it in life. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Humanity hasn't set the bar that high. You know, we got, we got friends that went to law school and ended up being number one in their law school class, and they were probably middling at St. Christopher's. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, it's amazing. Well, it says something about uh, applying yourself and working your ass off. Yeah, I mean that's that's yeah. I mean you learn it at different times. If you if you learn it, then you can be successful. Because I forgot you wrestled. I actually saw every time we wrestled collegiate, I would go to those matches, and I and I now distinctly remember you. Uh, you had some good ones against them. Yeah. Well, so we can talk about it, uh, high school and college, but I'm curious. Why did you get into wrestling? Because wrestling's not for everybody. Yeah, so uh, I was playing basketball, and I went out for uh, JV basketball, made the team, and Coach Kemper called me up and said, well, Manola, you made the team. Um, you know, I think you should you'd be better off going and wrestling and getting yourself in shape for football. Because he, he was a football coach. He was the head football coach. Yeah. And he knew I was going to be a good offensive lineman probably for him. So he was like, why don't you go over there and that'll make you bigger and stronger. And I was like, yes, sir. And that's what I did. I mean, you know, that's the thing. You, you know, some people would not – I listen to authority typically. Yeah. Like I would have died in 9-11 because if the police or someone told me to go back up, go to work, this is, we got it all under control, I'd have gone right back up to my desk mm. and come down. And so when he said, you know, go wrestle, I was like, yes, sir. I mean, wrestling is so brutal. It's it's really it's so brutal. It's so brutal. Losing weight and then that's the least of it. I mean, going and getting in a singlet and fighting a man to the death in a circle in front of a bunch of people. It's it's (laughs) Lake Taylor said that to me. He's like, you know, Loop. Let me tell you something. If you can get in a ring and fight someone to the death in a singlet in in front of a bunch of people (laughs) in a singlet in front of a bunch of people, there really aren't many things in life that should scare you or that you can't do and it's true i mean it's totally true it's a great preparation for life uh lake's three years younger than you i think he's three Maybe years behind four. you yeah but he was wrestling on varsity eighth grade eighth grade i was a senior what makes somebody really good at wrestling like lake and, and you were uh i mean he was a next level wrestler i mean i was never as good as he was um he was really good i mean he was a two or three time state champion I mean, he was a very, very excellent high school wrestler. Uh, I think what makes people good wrestlers are uh, discipline and uh, hard work and sacrifice. And then you have to have good balance and you have to be strong. Like my friend Jim McVeigh, he was just like ridiculously strong person. But he wasn't big. He wasn't no, huge. No, he played nose guard like 160 pounds. He was he was fairly tall. I mean, he was yeah, tallish. Yeah, no, he's a big man now. But I mean, he was not a he was a 165 pound person is what he was. But he was just extremely strong. Just an extremely strong. There, he's he's one of the strongest people I've run up against, and I wrestled in college. I mean, 
You know, I mean, I wrestled a guy who was an All-American. That guy was the strongest. Jim's probably number two. Wow. Yeah, I mean, just someone who's just. <laughs> Did Jim wrestle in college? No, he should. He would have, could have, should have. Yeah, if he's that strong. You yeah, would he, he would have been. Yeah, his knees were bothering him, and I think he'd just worn out of wrestling. But he was a good wrestler, good high school wrestler. My recollection of him was he was a very, very nice guy, too. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's funny. Your class, besides having, uh, like, really, really smart people, like an unusually high percentage of smart people, you all of you seem to play football, too. There were a lot of you that played football. Yeah. And hit hard. And so me being a sophomore on the team, you guys were brutal. I, I should have probably quit playing football after you guys would beat me up at two a days for practice. Or am I misremembering? No, no. I think, well, you know, it's hard because you're going against people two years older than you. So that two, just, two more years into puberty. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's, but we did. We had a, we had a heavily senior laden football class. We, we, we had a lot of, we had a lot of football players in the class. How many times did you beat collegiate? In football varsity? Yeah. One time. One time. Me too. And we got to My share that. My senior year. We got to share that. Yeah. And then you did it your sophomore year. Yeah. Yeah, and, and didn't do it again. You know, so much of it was dependent upon the line, and we just had a we had a really good line my senior year. Yeah. Well, it was all seniors except for maybe one guy, I think. Right. Yeah. Well, and then I came back. See, I missed the whole season with, with uh, what was that, the, um, mononucleosis. Yeah. So I came back for the collegiate game. That's the only game. I played three games that season. That's uh, Mono must have kicked your yeah. rear end. Oh, yeah, knocked me down. Yeah. Well, we yeah, we weren't as good, not because you would have been the fourth senior on the line if you right. played, played all. And we had David Blue at three hundred and fifteen pounds or whatever he was at left tackle. Right. Yeah, that that line was the reason that team was any good. Yep. At least I would make that argument. I yeah. think that's true. Yeah. All right. Good times. Fond memories for both of us. Beat, beating collegiate. I had Robert Pratt in here because um, he coached us. No, no, you missed him. My senior year, Robert Pratt was an assistant coach. Really? Yeah, it was really cool. But he was sitting there and he said, all I cared about was beating those damn Cougars. <laughs> 15. He played professional football for probably 12 to 15 years. It was like 12 or 13, yeah. Unbelievable. Yeah, and as soon as he – Little uh, guy. I mean, he probably weighs 140, 240, maybe 250 now. Yeah. yeah At yeah. best. But he's in, he's in fantastic shape for a guy his age, too. Yeah, I mean, he's, he's, probably, he's probably close to 70. I think he is 70. Yeah. He was an incredible high school athlete. Oh, he's ridiculous. He scored like 20 touchdowns in a eight or nine uh, game season. Yeah. His senior year. Huh. They played tackle at uh, UNC. Yeah. He's a good dude. He's he's funny too. Oh yeah, he's great. He used to come back when he was still playing professionally, and he would do the career days, and and that was everybody wanted to be a professional football player. Why would I you? Mean, right, everybody was in that, and um, he was amazing then. I mean, he was just great. Yeah, he would do camps, right? He would yeah, bring, oh, yeah, he'd yeah. Bring he, other NFL guys. Back. Yeah, we had but we had Burt Jones. Uh, Burt Jones came for two years to St. Christopher's for the camp, and. Um, and some a bunch of the Baltimore Colts uh, that he played with yeah. were at those camps. He's still best friends with Bert to this day. Well, Bert Jones was an amazing personality, and he was awesome. I mean, I remember him. Yeah, because you went to that camp. 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he was just a really funny, fun-loving guy, and he was a great quarterback. I mean, he, he was probably all – he. I'm pretty sure he was a pro bowler for a couple of years there. Yeah, Robert told me that uh, Burt's dad actually – through Burt's retirement, football actually had the record for most touchdowns in a game, and his dad was a receiver. Think about when his Burt Jones' dad was would be playing in the NFL in the '40s, and he had six receiving touchdowns. Well, yeah, they weren't throwing much then. Well, they were that game apparently, but yeah. Uh, oh, he had one one game. In one game, six touchdowns uh, in one know. game. Yeah, in a professional football game. That's what Robert told me. I got to look it up. I need yeah, to, no, I mean I believe it. I need to fact check him, maybe. Yeah. All right, so. Why would you want to wrestle in college? When I was in college, I wanted to do a lot of other things than um, than pl- playing sports is fun. Team, especially the individual aspect of wrestling, never appealed to me. What was it about wrestling that kept you going through college? Well, there's a couple things. I mean, I I like individual sports because there's no politics. Mm. I mean, you kick that guy's hiney and you start. Yeah, there's no politics in that. You can't. Nobody can put the finger on the scale. No one can say, "Well, I just don't like you." You beat that guy's honey, and you're your starter. Yeah. So I like that. Um, but the main reason why I did it was because my dad said I should do it, and um, I just kind of felt like he was probably right. He said it, it'll be good for you physically, and it'll keep you out of a little bit of trouble. Mm. And he was, he was right. right. Yeah. Absolutely correct. So I've like been on my kids since day one that you absolutely play a sport in college. That's you know that should be your what you do when you go to college. You play a sport, and um, because basically, uh, I mean, if you're capable, I mean, not everybody's capable. I mean, if you go, if you, the school you want to go to has a wonderful biology program because you want to be the the next great biologist, and it happens to be at a large school with a really good. <laughs> Football or basketball or wrestling yeah, then or whatever. You're, then you're just doing biology. I yeah, get that. Yeah, That's yeah. right. But but sports, to the extent you can play them, they teach you so much about what it takes to be successful in life. Discipline, teamwork, experiencing the thrill of winning after you've put in a lot of effort. You know, dealing with your losses. Yeah, figuring out how to get better from the, from the losses. Yeah, and just figuring out how to deal with loss because you're you're going to lose. You're not always going to win. It's part of life. It's part of life. So you need to learn how to lose, and um, so it just teaches teaches leadership, teaches how to get other people motivated to do things they don't want to do, and you have to be able to manipulate people in that way if you want to be successful leading an organization or you know. And so you figure out those teaches you those skill sets how to do that so just on so many levels it's it's a great it's a great trainer for for future endeavors yeah i totally agree totally agree i did not play in college i uh i almost went to wnl um and i maybe would have played there but not a place like uva uva was a different animal yeah Yeah. i get that i could have been the seventh string tackling dummy or something for the football team maybe if i was lucky uh, all right, so you go to Ole Miss. Why, why Ole Miss? The only law school I could get into. Really? Yeah. The, the, how many? How many did you apply to? I applied to four, um, and uh, U of R is my backup. The number of applicants to law schools back then, LA Law, got really hot. 
So the number you talking about the show. Yeah. <laughs> and so what happened was everybody I, wanted to be a lawyer. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. the number of applicants doubled. So the year before, if you became a lawyer, you'd be good looking. You'd make a bunch of money. Exactly. You'd have a tremendous sex appeal. Exactly. And so the number of applicants for law school doubled. So that's crazy. The, doubled the year before. If you had my grade point average and my LSAT, a hundred percent of all the applicants got into Richmond. Mm. So Richmond was my backup. I applied to W and L. You know, probably William and Mary, George Mason, and Richmond was my backup. So those my four. I didn't get in anywhere. Mm. And um, and a buddy of mine was similarly situated, and he was from Martinsville. He he went to W and L with me, and he's like, "Well, I applied to Ole Miss. There's a lot of pretty girls down there. It's in the SEC. It's a good law school. John Gresham went there, so that's where I'm heading." I'm like, "Really?" He's like, "Yeah." I'm like, "Okay." Well, I went and got an application. Wasn't too late. No, filled it out, sent them in with my transcript. Two weeks later, they accepted me. <laughs> That's where I went. Wow. Yeah. The next year, I got into WNL and William & Mary in Richmond and decided to go to Richmond. Why'd you I did really well in law school. Your first year especially, to get into those three. Yes. Yeah. I did really well. Why uh, Richmond? Sorry. I did well in law school, period. Yeah, all three years. Yeah. Why'd you choose Richmond? Uh, my dad's like, you know, just live in Richmond. You can live in one of my apartments. You make connections here. You know, we know people here. And, you know, just no sense in. Yeah, the network's pretty powerful, I imagine. Living in Richmond, being a U of R. Yeah, it was more grad. convenient. He was right. I mean, that was a good call. Yeah. That worked out fine. Yeah, I don't know that you would have had a necessarily massively different experience with the other two law schools. And you already knew Lexington, right? Correct. Yeah. That's right. But you also knew Richmond. Yeah. But yeah, it worked out fine. But you you enjoyed it. Sounds like you. Yeah. Yes. I had two years there. And At what point did you know? Like, I really am glad I made this decision. Like, because I desperately want to be a lawyer. Did you ever have that moment? I was clerking for a judge in Manchester um, courthouse, and it was my first day on the job, and he had a jury trial where a. 16-year-old boy had shot a Korean store owner in the face. Hmm. It was your first day? First day. It was the most unbelievable thing I'd ever seen. I never even heard of anything like this. I never even don't... Come on, man. You're out here in Hanover. You don't have any crime. Nope. You don't even know what crime is. It's one of the reasons I live here. I lived in Richmond, but, you know, there's books that are written about it you know i think that somebody wrote a book like 10 miles apart or something or five miles apart or something anyway bottom line is there are places in richmond that exist that i didn't know existed there were lifestyles that existed that you only kind of peripherally know or even there they're never part of like your daily existence and so it's not until you see how these things can all fit together it dawns on you it's a big world out there and not everybody's nice mm-hmm. there's some and not everybody's living in great places you know I mean it's it's an eye-opening experience being in that environment seeing that for the first time 
It was it was shocking to me. And you were clerking after law school or, or yeah. after law school? Right after law school. Yeah. Yeah. And it was a trial level trial clerk and you know, it was real life, man. It was in Manchester. You know, it was Manchester at that time. Um, it's one of the worst neighborhoods in the country. Yeah. And um, it's gotten quite a bit better um, now. But back then, it was, man, it was rough. I mean, the year before I got there, there was a dead man on the courthouse lawn. Mm. And the... And the and the police station was across the street. I mean, it was rough, man. I mean, so you graduated law school in 92? That's right. So ni- in early 90s. This is 1993. Yeah, Rich- yeah, Richmond in the early 90s. And one of the roughest places in the country. I mean, I think we were the... Mer- 1997, we had, hundred and I think, like 157 or 167 homicides. Per capita, that's... Insane. Like, like top three in the country. Yeah, sort better of than New Orleans. Yeah, or worse. Worse in this case. Yeah, nobody yeah it wants, was rough. Nobody wants to be number one for the. Uh, I mean, I've been. I mean, just, just you know, I mean, I've been prosecuting for three or four years, and I was, I prosecuted a double homicide, hmm. jury. I mean, you get the great place to cut your teeth. Great place to cut your teeth. Yeah, I mean, I, I probably did close to thirty or forty jury trials. So you clerked for a while, and then you just, you became a prosecutor. Okay, and how do you become a prosecutor? Well, the chief prosecutor's got to give you a job. So you're um, basically interviewing for that job. Interviewing for that job. And, um, you know, you got to kind of, like everything else, you got to get to know people, and then they got to get to know you. And then if they know you and they like you, you, know, you can do that through internships. You can do that, you know, different ways. But bottom line is you got to figure out a way to get in. And once you get in, you need to do a good job. You need to get along with people, too, and, and show that you can get along. I imagine I'm trying to tie it back to the eighth grade uh, basketball. Yeah, I mean, we had we, in that first prosecutor's office I had, you know, people talk about diversity and inclusion and all that. I mean, we were half and half, you know, half black, half white, a couple of Asians. And, you know, we worked together. Yeah, you made it happen. You know, yeah, and we laughed. You know, we had good times just living together. And the son of a Greek immigrant. Some of a Greek immigrant. Just, you know, living the dream. <laughs> How long did you uh, prosecute? From 1994 till 2000. Okay. Six years. Was that tiring? I, I prosecuted out in Hanover for six months. How, how did you do that? Well, I got a job. Eddie R. Vaughn Jr. was the uh, mm-hmm. chief prosecutor. And uh, and I worked out here for six six months. After you had... Prosecuted in the city. Okay. Came out here for six months and then went back to the city. Because you fell asleep in those six months that you were out here in Hanover County. Um, yeah, it just didn't work out. <laughs> it sounds like some personality stuff that we don't yeah, need to talk about. Ki- yes, <laughs> just all kinds of stuff. Uh, so, But you prosecuted for a while. It, was that gruesome or grueling? Grueling's maybe the better word. Was it grueling? You know, the last year that I prosecuted, I was special counsel for a multi-jurisdictional grand jury, which investigates nar- cross-jurisdictional narcotics conspiracies and political corruption. Mm. And, you know, when you're a prosecutor and you're just doing the day-to-day stuff, um, it's it can be fun because you're, you know, you wrap yourself in the American flag, you're doing the Lord's work, you're putting the bad guys in jail get to work with the police it's, it can be interesting um so that that part of it was fun it's not you know 
it's not great pay. But when I got that job with the juris, the multi-jurisdictional grand jury, it was an investigative grand jury, and that's a little bit different. Hmm. Um, and so, what happens is is it's it's like you're you you become more of a almost like more of an a an a uh, police officer and less of a just sort of grinding out prosecutor because you have to individually shake down people in a grand jury setting mm. um, you threaten them with different mechanisms for punishment if they don't cooperate during the course of your investigation there were times too where you know I mean I was 28 years old and people's names would pop up yeah you sure. knew yeah. being Richmond all your life and you're like whoa okay and you're sworn to secrecy so it's never coming out of your mouth but it's like okay this is weird so I think it starts to play with you a little bit personally because you unless you knew what I was up to um, you would never know you, you know the average human being would not even have any idea what I was doing but you don't when you're doing it you don't know or you don't appreciate that the average person doesn't have any idea and so it's like you you felt i felt less comfortable like i'm a I, I at that point i wasn't married and i was out and about and i felt like I, I felt a little bit uncomfortable when i was out and about because i was thinking people were thinking that maybe i was investigating right, right, right. you know which they would have no idea that i was what I, what I was up to but in my mind i didn't realize that yeah so anyway sure. it's just a weird it was a weird that that was a weird experience. Did that lead you away from the uh, prosecution? No, I, no, because I ran for I ran for Richmond City Council, so it's just a natural progression. So, what turns you to politics? I had um, I it was weird. I never, you know, I was never involved in anything at school. Yeah, I don't remember you. No, no, I never. No, that. no, yeah. I wouldn't have run for anything. And and um, but I had uh, one experience when I was at Ole Miss. Um, uh, lady I was dating talked me into running for honor council and I ended up winning. It's like, well, that's weird. I wouldn't did, have thought that. Did you run a campaign? No, no. I just put my name in that and they all voted for me. I guess because I was a really good student. They're like, well, he's smart. He gets a job. And that's what we used to do. Take her. Yeah. He's the real smart guy. Give it to him. Oh, all the smart guys. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And so I guess they thought I was smart and they gave it to me. I don't know how it worked. But anyway, I got the votes. Like, wow, this is pretty cool. I didn't realize people would vote for me. I like winning. It's like sports. It's like sports. So um, yeah, except it's also a popularity contest, sort of. You tell me, you're the pol- you were the politician. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, but it's and so anyway, I mean, it's sales. It's mm. basically sales. Come back to sales. Yeah. And um, but you you know you're and so anyway, so um, I uh, was clerking for that judge. Um, a guy was running for Commonwealth attorney. I got to know him pretty well because I helped him with this campaign. You know, I did a lot of stuff to help him with the campaign. So then I was like, well, I need a job. I begged him for a job. He's like, well, I love you. You're great. So you'd be a great prosecutor. And he hired me. So I worked for him. So I was like, oh, well, this is pretty, that's pretty cool. I, I liked the whole idea of running for something. And then I would, um, I got involved in a couple campaigns like Panty Roads. I got that through Tom just because hmm. it was Tom's mama. Yeah. So, you know, but I helped her out a bit. And then great lady, by the way. Yeah, and and I was with her. We were having lunch one day, and 
at the Commonwealth Club, she and I were meeting for something, and someone came up to me while we were walking to our seat and was like, Luke, when are you running for something? <laughs> so then we sat down. She's like, why are we meeting? I said, well, because that happens to me more often than you would think. Huh. And so I'm thinking about running for city council. I'd helped John Conrad, and he had indicated that he thought I would do a good job. And so, you know, maybe you would consider running for this. So I felt like I had to start meeting people, and that just came up. So really it was sort of like I just one of those things that I kind of evolved into it. Um, it wasn't something that I ever thought when I was growing up or at any time. I was not a political animal. I wasn't like a Republican or a Democrat. I was sort of a middle-of-the-road type person. Yeah. And um, I've gotten more conservative as I've aged, which goes back to what Winston Churchill said. If you're young and you're not liberal, you don't have a heart. And if you're old and you're not conservative, you don't have a brain. Yeah, he was right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, as I've, I've, so as I've aged, I've gotten a little bit more conservative. But um, but that, that just kind of happened, happened that way. It just sort of evolved that way. And, um, you know, one thing, when I, when I was doing that, I pretty much had made up my mind that my default position was that I was going to um, just tell it like I thought it was. But what happens is the longer you're there, the less comfortable you feel that you can do that. Mm. Because it's not always black and white. There's so much gray in the world. Yeah. So you can't be so strident. Right. You can do it at low. It's much, interestingly enough, it's much easier to be strident when you're in local government because it's pretty much universal truths. We all want safer streets. We all want better schools. The, the only time there really is, is any kind of divide is when we're discussing how to make the schools better. Mm. But it doesn't get, it, 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 politics didn't, it's a little bit more now in the local, but local government really it's not a it's not a hot but you know fix my damn pothole right okay don't crap away all my money okay keep my taxes low make my street safe and those are basic tenets that you can run on as a local official you know city councilman or board of supervisor and the average person is like damn right i'm with you there where it gets where it gets more difficult is when every other conversation goes to abortion mm. and you're just like you know and then it's you're, you're pissing somebody off <laughs> I mean, yeah. just no way there is no way around it okay and so that's when you have to be really skilled and you know there are people that are skilled really skilled of figuring out how to manipulate their conversations in a way that you can never really hate them. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, I mean, the perfect, the person that comes perfectly to my mind as I'm talking is like Tim Kaine. Mm. I mean, that dude, he's... Because you serve with him. Yeah. yeah. He's brilliant. He's really smart. That's the reason he's a U.S. Senator. Yes. He's yeah. as smooth as they come. I mean, silk, man. You know, and he's slick as soap. You can't catch him. I mean, he's going <laughs> to figure out a way to, you know, I mean, he's, he'll be four steps out of you. You're not, you're not catching him. So the political calculus that he was doing in his head is... He's just a much more complex thinker, I think, than, you know, I mean, he's, he's a, an amazing... I mean, he'd be a great president. I mean, I don't, I don't like his politics. You know, I mean, I'm not liberal. He's liberal. I think he's liberal. 
but he's not mean liberal and he's also not crazy liberal he wants to be productive liberal i think yeah yes yes and, and the other thing is is he's honest he's an honest person and i think he's learned so you know he's thinking about things that we should be thinking about you know he's thinking about i mean most recently he's been you know working on um this whole idea of of just having a president declare war all the time without congressional approval i mean those are he's right whether it's a democrat or republican in office he's absolutely right we should want to have these checks and balances in place it's the same thing i bet you he would be if you if you talk to him about um about sort of like for lack of a better way to express it big brother mm. you know the the idea that everybody's all up in everybody's stuff and we should be scared of systems that monitor i think he would probably He'd probably be two or three steps ahead of you and me in thinking about all that. Because mm. I'm sure he thinks, you know, I'm sure he's probably given that a lot. Of, this is the kind of things that he would, he's, I think that he's a higher level thinker. I, can you imagine him? Just stack them up. Biden or Tim Kaine? It's Tim Kaine every time. Dude, come on, man. I'm, it's a damn shame he, I mean, you know, he, he ran as vice president. You know, I'm glad he lost because I didn't like Hillary, but but um, but he would make a, I mean, God, they could do so much worse. Well, I mean, I don't even understand why that someone wouldn't have begged him to do it. Why he's not doing it. Yeah. I don't understand. I mean, I understand because I don't want to do it, but, you know, he's in a position where he really could run and, and you know, I mean. It, he could be a unifying force. He's, yeah. If, if we end up with, Trump and Biden again? Are you kidding me? It's, it's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. I, I love our I Constitution, but how have we ended up in 2023 considering those two? It's a, it's a ridiculous. I it's can't ridiculous. I can't remember an, another time that was this ridiculous. No, for for presidential level politics. Yeah, it's it's completely insane. All right, let's go back to you running for uh, city council. It's it was an open, like it's an election, right? You, it's people from your part of the city yes. voting for either probably, you or somebody else. Yeah, probably maybe close to 25,000 people okay. live in a district. And half of them vote for city council, maybe a little bit more? I think the first time I ran, we had really low turnouts um, because it was a May election. They used to have them in May. Mm -hmm. The whole idea of having them in May is that you wouldn't get affected by, you know, um, party politics. Well, say more about that. Well, you have them in May. You know, um, they're they're not at the same time as House of Delegates and Senate races. Uh -huh. They're not at the same time as gubernatorial or presidential races. So they're low key. So they're yeah, but they're they're so the idea is that you're getting people there that aren't party people, but they're you know more tuned to local government and that kind of thing. So when I ran, I mean, I ran, um, I probably got you know five thousand votes. How'd you get the word out uh, that you were even running? I sent a, I went and met with people for about nine months, you know, like basically just parents of friends. Mm. And then they would like re recommend that I go talk to two or three people. So I'd go talk to those two or three people. 
So I built up in like a year, probably a list of about 150 people. And I sent them a letter and said, I'm running, please send me some money. Mm. And then they sent, a lot of them said, yeah, we'll support you. And they sent me money. And then that was how I got enough money to start doing mail pieces Mm. and pay for yard signs and all that kind of thing. It was sort of like, you just have to, I mean, I was just really organized and I ran the whole, basically I ran the campaign. I had an elderly woman helping me a little bit, but mainly I learned from John Conrad how to do it. It wasn't that hard. You just got to, you know, block and tackle. Yeah. And stay to it. Yeah. And methodically do it. Yeah. Did you enjoy your time on city council? I liked it. Um, I didn't like the last two years. I was president of Richmond City Council, and we had uh, it was the first two years of um, Wilder's uh, being there, and he was a very difficult person to deal with. Really? I, oh my God, it's miserable. <laughs> yeah, miserable. He's terrible. He was a very bad mayor, in my opinion. Still, you know, he's always looking for a fight. He wasn't looking for solutions. You know, he wasn't. I mean, he had everybody. Everybody would have worked with him. I mean, you know, everybody. I mean. I, I supported very strongly the whole creation of that mayor thing. When he ran, I came out strongly supporting him. And I was there to help get stuff done. You know, I didn't want to be in all these little piddly fights all the time. Yeah. I, mean, I wanted to see some stuff get done. Like, we should have gotten rid of Gilpin Court. He had, I mean, at that time, they had the um, senators were kissing his ring. People running for governor were kissing his ring. Everybody was sucking up to him. All he had to do was just ask for help from the federal government, or and people would have. I mean, people were trying to make him happy, and and um, but that's just not the way he he operates with con. He likes conflict. So he'd look for it. Yeah. Or he just or he makes created. Shit, makes yeah. I mean, him and Goldman, they were just you know, and you know, I mean, I, I I love Paul Goldman, but you know, he was just looking for that was just his style. His style was to. You know, be a critic and to, and that's fine. There comes a point in time, you know, to get elected for them to get elected, you have to point out what's wrong. But then to to do a good job, you have to figure out what to do is right. And and um and you gotta. There's so much he could have accomplished, with the power that he had, the, the, everything that he had, and it just. It was very frustrating to me. So I just stopped talking to him. Because mm. I, I told him. He was laughing about it on my way out the door. He's like, Loop, I never see you anymore. I'm like, dude, when I'm in here, I feel like I have this target right here. If I don't see you, you forget about me. So I don't get the target. So I'm like, why would I come back? I just It's easier for me to just avoid you. Yeah. And he thought, thought that was hilarious. But it was the truth. Because he, he loved mixing it up so much. He goes, why why wouldn't anybody want to mix it up? Yeah, I don't like that. I didn't like that. So anyway, we just had a dis- dif- difference of opinion on how things should operate in a massive way. And so it was. Uh, that's why I was just like, dude, I'm out of here. I don't want to. I don't want to do this anymore. I, I'm not. I don't. I'd, I'd rather not do. I'd rather not be involved. Is that when you turned to state? No, I just checked out. Went back to be to lawyering. Yeah, and then the. Um, the the House of Delegate thing came a year a year or two later. Okay. Oh. And you did that for a, one ten time. years. Oh wow! You did. What's the term for two a years? So you got elected five times. 
four or five times as a delegate. It's pretty cool. I think. I mean, how many times did you lose out of all the times you ran? How many times did you lose? One time. Yeah. Yeah. The last time. What do you think it is about you that people wanted to vote for you? Or, or were your politics aligned with your district? I think my politics aligned, and I think, um, and I, and I think more or less, you know, I could identify with the common man. You know, just I, I felt like I could communicate well with just the average guy. I mean, your dad uh, had the second worst job, one of the oil rig to yeah. to take the worst yeah, job I mean, in, I, in the and, U.S. And, you know, I mean, I grew up working as a dishwasher, and you know, working behind the counter, you know. Um, waiting on tables, you know, uh, busboy. So I'd done that all my life. So I'd been in the public my whole life. And and you, it did something for you. You obviously kept coming back to it. Yeah, I mean, that last, I, I, I you know, I wasn't going to run that last time. And I gave it all I had, but I just, it had become really joyless. Joy, mm. Yeah, joyless. Yeah, joyless, yeah. And, and so I was, I was thinking, uh, I'm out. I, I don't want to do it. I told my dad and mom, I told my wife that I just, I don't think I'm going to run again. And I let somebody talk me into it. And basically, um, it, it, wasn't, they, it wasn't malicious, but it was just one of those things they said, they, they kind of, it kind of struck me. It was like, well, I once had told this person that, that to the extent that you have the ability to do these things to serve the people, you have an obligation to do it. And then I got it put on me. And I was like, it's a guilt trip. Yeah, I got. Yeah, but he wasn't like it wasn't like that person was trying to. I mean, it was just anyway. So I was like, okay, I'll do it one more time. I I, I kind of thought, well, I'll do it one more time, and and then I'll. St- I mean, I, st- I wish I'd stepped away, but I knew it was coming with Trump. I knew it was coming. Yeah. I, I could see the writing. I started knocking on doors 10 months before my election because mm. I knew it was coming. It didn't matter. So you, you won a bunch in a row, and then you lost the last one. That's right. Yeah. Well, sorry. You learned from losing, right? It's fine. <laughs> I got a lot more time now. But, I mean, think about it. I mean, most politicians don't have a run like you had. No, I had a good no 17 years. It's fine. Yeah, you That's won- a long time. You won every election for 17 years. Yes. Yeah. That's a long, and that's plenty. And never again. Never again. Never. So the guy who convinced you to run the last time, he, he won't be able I'm to convince I'm done, you. man. Stick a fork <laughs> in me. I'm an old, fat man. Uh, I got other things I want to do. So what are you doing now? Well, I've got a, I'm practicing law. You know, I'm going to do some criminal and traffic defense. Um, I'm fixing to move my office to closer by where my um, family's but my dad bought some property right there around the Robin Inn so I got a lot going on there so I really kind of would prefer being on site mm. so I'm, I'm in the process of trying to move my law office down there okay well, off abroad to down there right yeah yeah just easier yeah I think when you and I connected on the phone you were actually painting yeah, so I'm doing that. Yeah, I do painting, <laughs> light plumbing. I got like the last week I had to unclog a um, my my the guy who does some um, maintenance work for me was out of town, so I was the maintenance guy, and I went and uh, helped unclog a shower the other day. Yeah. So you know, whatever it takes. You get you all all hands on deck. Keeps you humble. You know, my dad. 
till the day he died, he that's what he he was he was working. You know, I mean, he was going to work that morning. He's eighty four. Really? Yeah, he was going getting ready to go to work. You know, going to take a shower, get ready for work. Wow. Yeah. You know, so, but that you know, that's not a curse. That's a blessing. Oh yeah. I mean, dude, he had purpose. I mean, every day he had a load of keys in his pocket, and he was going to tend to his life. You know, so it wasn't a curse. It was a blessing, because it came something to do. His mind was working. No, purpose is right. Yeah, it's good to have purpose. Yeah, got him out of bed every morning. Yeah, every morning, yeah. early. You know, he'd get his he'd get his walk in and get going on the day. And you know, I mean, I think he enjoyed the interaction with the people that he had to interact with. And you know, I mean, he 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 had joy in what he was doing. And work was part of why he came here. Yes, he was a great model for you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think that's a good way to go. I think I'd like to get out with my boots on. Yeah, no, that's right. I, there are a lot of people I know that, uh, like, I can't wait to retire and I can just play golf or do no, whatever. Dude. I'm like, dude, that's not purpose. You got you got to have something in your life that's uh, getting you to either be better than you were the day before or help other people or whatever it is that gives you purpose. But Correct. Yeah, you got to have something. Golf is not a purpose. Yeah. It's not even a sport, really, I would argue. <laughs> I digress. Uh, all right, so I'm going to ask you a weird question that's completely out of left field, but I ask most of my guests this. It's not meant to be hard, but it is meant to be a little more revealing about who you are. Uh, and you can say Winston Churchill is one of the answers, actually. All right, you're a talk show host, one time only. It could be a two-hour, could be one hour. You can have some guests on. You get to pick all of them. Uh, they can be alive or dead. They can be related to you. They could be famous. The point of your talk show can be pure entertainment. It could be thought-provoking. It could be a mix of whatever you want it to be. You can have a male guest, a female guest, a musical act, and if you're in the uh, comedy, a comedian. It's a lot to take in. Yeah, but I mean, so basically what you're saying is the... the, the so, and you're the host. Right, you're yeah, talking right, to yeah. him. Winston Churchill, Margaret Thatcher. Okay. <laughs> this is quick. Yeah, you're, Winston you're, Churchill, Margaret Thatcher, the Beatles, okay, and Johnny Carson. Nice, I love it. I love those answers. Now, tell me why. And if it was a sports figure, Michael Jordan. I agree. Michael Jordan's the best uh, basketball player ever. No one, no one will ever be better than him. At least not in our lifetime. I don't think. All right. So tell me why each of those. But in, in, all right. So Winston Churchill, just the breadth of everything that he did people don't understand he was the highest before he was ever anything in the government he was the highest paid journalist in the world people don't know that i have no i had no he was idea. the highest paid journalist in the world yeah he was um they were they were paying him for reports from um the you know he obviously came back from the Boer war he was a great warrior right Came famous that way, but he was the highest journal, paid journalist in the world. He wrote the hit at the age in, in his seventies and eighties. He wrote the history of the English speaking peoples, which was a seven volumes. Seems, like a, volume seems set. like a daunting task. Yeah, seven <laughs> volumes set about the entire history of the English speaking peoples. You know, everybody knows he was he was the head of every agency of government in the British government. Mm. And then he was done in 1919. It was over. 
He was never going to be anything but a backbencher, never going to be anything because of what happened when he was the head of the admiralty. They had a they had a really bad thing in World War One where a bunch of British were killed in the Dardanelles in Turkey. And he was and scapegoated. He was scapegoated. Well, it was, you know, yes, you know, depending on the story you read, but whatever, you're the, the buck stops with you. And he he took the fall. He wasn't writing the history then. Right, right. Somebody else was writing the history, and he got laid down. And so for the longest period of time, he was in the wilderness. And it wasn't until the most dire point in the history of the British Empire that he was called back. And he led the country. And he to was the man. He was the man. Unbelievable communicator. And like when you think about some of the things that he said and the way that he said it, his mastery of spoken and written word, English, was so incredible that it's almost incomprehensible. Mm. Um, he was able to communicate in a way, and I mean, you know, it was... Uh, and, 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 and Roosevelt, he had some pretty good, pretty good communications, too. Um, but this guy was head and shoulders just an amazing human being in the 20th century we're now in the 21st century so i would i mean i would love to spend time with him margaret thatcher because um you know she brought britain back largely in a, in a way she was a woman that was way ahead of her time i mean it's just there'd never been a, anybody like her and she was obviously an amazing uh, person from so many different respects. Very tough. I was going to say strong-willed. Yeah, very tough. Um, Johnny Carson, just because... You'd love man, to talk to him, right? Yeah, and man, God, wouldn't it be? Wouldn't life be so much better if Johnny was still around? Yeah, I agree. I mean, can you imagine him on late night with these dodo birds that are on late night? <laughs> He'd crush them. Crush them. Crush them. Yeah. I mean, he was, and, you know, I, I don't know if he was liberal or conservative. I don't know what he was. He was funny. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and, and mainly because he communicated like the average, an average person. And he would allow his guests to be funny. Yeah. Yeah. He was, he was fantastic. And, uh, and the Beatles, just because they're the Beatles. Well, the Beatles weren't, I mean, they had done their thing. They'd broken up by the time you were in. Middle school? Yeah, I know, but just historically, you know that. I mean, oh yeah, they, they were. They're the most prolific never, band. Never been anything like that. Yeah, they wrote three hundred songs or something crazy in a relatively short period of time. I did not know that. Yeah, yeah. Well, I know that because my middle kid is a Beatles person. Okay, that's my lineup. No, that's a, that's a solid lineup. I think a lot of people would tune into that. I think you'd be entertaining too as a as a host. Not as good as you. No, you might. remember I had a sports calling show? No, you did not. Yeah, on 910 WRNL, your news talking sports leader. The name of the show is Bring It On. How, how long did you do that? Bring It On. Bring It On. Come bring it on down to the boys at Charlie's. Now let's go to Mac and Manoli, the M&M brothers, and bring it on. So it sounds like an ensemble. It yeah. was Mac and Manoli, the M&M brothers. Who was Mac? Mac Freeman. He runs, Um, he's in Denver now. He runs in Vesco Field. Oh, Wow. Yeah, he's got a huge shop. Yeah, he's an unbelievable guy. Yeah. He used to run the Richmond Coliseum for SMG. Okay. And then he had graduated from Hampton, Sydney, and he and I were buddies back then. 
and he somehow or another finagled an hour of radio. Um, and so the two of you, do it. yeah, and it was a little bit he did it with Jay Ariano, and uh, who was working at Channel Six at the time, who was you know, and so yeah, he was the straight man, I was the the color, and uh, we had a good time. We 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 had a good time. We we'd bring it. Was it uh, sports calling? Call in, and you're just reacting to whatever. The well, we would, says. you know, we give information. It was, it was at the same time period that Big Al Coleman got started. Oh yeah. So we yeah, were yeah. just, it was, we were doing the same thing Bill Gal was doing. Big Al really put his life into it. Yeah. You know, he went and got sponsors, advertisers. You know, I mean, he, he's he's dedicated his life to local sports call, sports radio, and it worked out for him. Like it's fine. It's yeah. been awesome. Yeah. yeah. And he's, you know, and Big Al's different. Big Al was, we were confrontational. We were sort of like, you know, I can't use the phraseology on, on the on the mic, but, you know, I mean, we were professional shit talkers. That's what we were. Okay. And so, and so it was a different vibe. Was it your idea or was it Max? No, idea? it was Max. Yeah. No, I mean, the idea of like, well, I mean, I'm giving you what I got. So this is what you're getting. If you're bringing it, I mean, you know, we, we called it, he brought it, bring it on, which was good. And then, then I, you know, I took that as like, okay, you're bringing it. I'm bringing it. And so let's see, you know, see where we go from there. So it was, it was, um, I thought it was, it was fun. We had, we had a good time. We had a good time. And you went in studio every time. Right? No, we did it from, uh, we did it from Charlie sports bar. Where was that? So we have a couple of toddies and and uh, you know chat it up. <laughs> it's not a bad thing. No, it was fine. Free beer and you know and and you know it was part of Charlie's Sports Bar. Where, so where was that? I don't uh, know. It was right there in Stony Point Shopping Center. Okay, yeah, yeah. So we would go over there. I, you know, you know, usually it was I don't know maybe Sunday afternoon. It was it was a witching hour, like maybe Sunday afternoon at five o'clock or something. Okay. So during the summer, it was not as fun because oh, sports in summer are brutal, and I'm guessing already, yeah, yeah, already it's brutal. There's nothing going on. You know, it's a lot of baseball, and um, and then and then um, but and you know, your little basketball things are different now. It's much more. ESPN was sort of not in its heyday, but was getting there. Yeah. That time period, 1994, 95. I mean, it was really getting there, actually. And um, so sports were a little bit more constant, like they are now. Yeah. We have so many op- sports options now that we didn't have 30 years ago. Oh, yeah. During the summer. I mean, yeah. you know, there's lacrosse, there's all kinds of stuff. Yeah, well, I mean, what when we were in high school, there were five spring sports, and and now you probably play ten sports. Yeah, maybe twelve. But I'm talking about like just for watching and TV uh, and everything. Yeah, 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 it's yeah. just so much more. I mean, there's there's three or four, maybe five permanent um, sports television uh, channels. So we just, it's ubiquitous. I mean, there's so much. Ubiquitous is the right way to describe it. You can can find some sports to watch. Oh, yeah, no problem. Yeah, and and we didn't have that, you know. We still just had baseball. And and maybe a little bit of golf, maybe. Yeah, yeah, baseball and golf. That's what you had. Yeah. Yeah. 
In fact, we did a we did a, a live we did a live feed from um, uh, the uh, was it the the was it PJ Mac Mac Moran? It was in New Orleans, English turn. We got a live we got a live uh, report from from that Pat, tournament. Pat O'Brien? No, you're talking about a tournament. Yeah, PJ. It was the Mac Moran. Mm. Um, it was at the English Turn in New Orleans. It was just a regular PGA event. Okay. On the tour back then, and we got a live report from there. <laughs> my one of my fraternity brothers gave us a live report. <laughs> oh, so you you had an, uh, an accomplice effectively in New Orleans. Yeah, I knew he was going to be there, so we got him calling for a live report because <laughs> everybody. Couldn't wait for that call. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody had a clue. That we're was getting coming. it straight from the. We're getting it straight from the course. I mean, that's how big the show is. We're getting. Yeah, we got people yeah, we there. Got live reports. We sent people to the PGA this week. Uh, that's hilarious. Yeah. Oh man. All right. Let, let's uh, close by uh, talking about your family. Tell me about your your wife and, and kids. Uh, been married uh, since. Uh, 1997 so we're going on 26 years she's from Jackson Mississippi Hyde she's from Jackson Mississippi went to Ole Miss is that where you met her uh, I met her at Scott Harrison's wedding in Nashville Tennessee okay um, and um, so we've got three kids I've got a daughter Doxy who just graduated from Dickinson um, and she's currently looking for a job in dc she wants to work in dc so she's kind of she was really kind of hoping to get a um a fulbright and that didn't work out for her so now she's looking for you know a job in dc full fulbright's pretty rare air yeah she's a good student and uh hard worker she was um she was two-time captain of her squash team there oh nice. and they had a pretty little squash team yeah so she had a nice run of it what does she what does she want to do she's a real busy person she does a lot of stuff so she's she's got a good resume she'll i don't know i think she would like to get into um i I think ultimately what she'd like to be is in the um in the um uh foreign service okay okay but i think you know i think the best entree is probably to go into politics is my guess Mm. and then kind of you know See where that lands you. Does she know you as a politician? She oh, yeah. remembers you as a politician, right? Oh yeah, yeah, they all do. Okay, yeah, I mean, this has only been four years ago. Oh, gotcha. That I got. They all. I mean, they probably remember like yesterday when I got beat. Because <laughs> I'm like, it is over. <laughs> I mean, stick a fork in me. I am done. <laughs> um, and then my uh, middle daughter, Stuart is 20 she is a she just finished her sophomore year at Ole Miss and uh, so she's kind of following her mama's footsteps there and she's done great she loves it and she's um she's a great gal she'll she's doing um ad advertising mm. and marketing that's what she's majoring in yep so anyway I talked to uh, Mumford about her a little bit and She's she's uh, she's been working real hard. So she she has fun too. I mean, it's a great school. Yeah, yeah. And then um, my son, uh, Little Manoli, just graduated from St. Christopher's. Is that what people call him, Little Manoli? Not. Nah, I think they might call him Loop. Okay, like you. Yeah. Okay. When, when the five of are you 
five of you are together, what do you go by? Dad, and then he goes by... Loopy. Loopy? Loop. Okay. Depending on how bad he's been. <laughs> Manoli, I need to talk to you right now. <laughs> That's when he's like, uh-oh, here we go. <laughs> Where's he headed? Uh, Sewanee. Okay, nice. Yeah. University of the South. University of the South. He's fired up. Right? Yeah. Says reminds him of camp. I was going to say, uh, Ole Miss uh, is not close. Sewanee's not close. Where's Dickinson? Carlisle, PA. It's about four hours away. So closer than the other two. Yeah. Yeah. We're used to being road warriors. It's fine. Well, it's, it's helping them be independent, too, not being that close. I would yeah, think. and I mean, I, you know, Sewanee is a beautiful school. Oh, it's gorgeous. Yeah. So I think he's going to – I think he'll have a good – good time i think they wear robes if your grades are good enough right you get to wear robes. yeah i'm not sure my sister went there he, maybe okay maybe he'll get in a robe maybe he'll be like me and start doing better i, I assume that i'm not that he's doing badly <laughs> no, no, don't no, get no. that wrong he so, does a lot better than i did sorry uh little manoli yeah no he did a lot but he does a lot better than me but but um but he you know you can always get better so absolutely gotta grind one, well and you're his dad right you you want to see all three of your kids do well absolutely 26 years of marriage. Man, that's it's not a minute. That's that's a long time. You guys are still rolling. Yeah, man. That's awesome. Yeah, it's good. I'm blessed. Very cool. Well, well Manoli, I I, uh, I thought of you because I was driving past your office. I'm like, <laughs> I'm like I need to get Manoli on. Manoli will be a good time. Okay. Well, I mean, I got to admit, I, I uh, when I listened to the Tommy Do interview, I thought that was awesome. He's uh, Tommy's a good dude. Yeah, he's a great dude. Yeah. So um, I hope hope that uh, people will enjoy the podcast. Cool. Thanks, man. All right, man. Thank you for listening. If you enjoy this episode, please subscribe to wherever you listen to podcasts. We'd also really appreciate if you'd rate and review us. You can find us at skodupodcast.com.